We've been dating for a long time, and one of the things she, she does, doesn't do as much anymore, but she used to for a while, she kind of fell into a loop with it, is I'd say, yeah, what do you, you want to, what are you hungry for? Let's go get food or something. Let's you know, have something delivered. She'd say, I don't care. <laughs> and it took me a little while, but I finally said, okay, you know what? You got to stop saying I don't care. Start saying I'm indifferent. Yeah. Because if you say I don't care, what you're literally saying is it doesn't matter to me and this problem isn't important. Yeah. I'm indifferent is I care. I yeah. care about you and I care about, you know, your well-being and I care about finding food and having an experience with you. But where we go doesn't matter. Yeah. The experience matters. Yeah. Or they really do care. They just want you to guess correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a power game. That's a very real possibility. Yeah. This is Real News Talk. We bring you the hottest topics, conversation, and digital radio entertainment, all at the speed of news. And now, here's your host. And I think there's a generational piece to that. Mm -hmm. As a baby boomer, our language is very different. Say our son, who's a millennial, his language is very different. So even the word indifferent to you probably means something different from what it means to me. Which is frightening. it, it is pretty scary because you don't know. So, for instance, in a podcast, you don't know who's listening. So they are going to hear the words very differently. Right. And I think that's part of what's so important about this medium is, is being is being candid. Mm-hmm. It's being yourself. I mm-hmm. feel like so many people sit down and they, they want to be somebody they're not. They want to mm-hmm. act like they're grandstanding or they're speaking to the masses. And it's mm-hmm. I think it's important to just be you mm-hmm. and, and let them figure it out. Because if you are mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and you use a word like indifferent, ideally your listeners will understand who you are and where you're coming from. Yes. And they'll be able to discern what you mean. Yeah. That's the hope anyway. You know, I think that resonates with me a lot because I've always been different. And I realized when I started writing the books that I have been wearing masks for many years, Mm. sort of trying to fit into the cookie cutter. And when I felt very different, I would be quiet versus saying something controversial. Right. And so now it feels very refreshing to just take off that mask as much as I can and just say, okay, this is what I feel. Take it or leave it. I'm indifferent. <laughs> right. And that's uh, – sorry, go ahead, Matt. I was going to say, do you think uh, communication breakdowns are, are – are, could solve – I guess the question is, how many problems do you think could be solved both, both uh, professionally and personally if communication were better? I think communication is so key. Uh, I think before communication comes trust. So I think if you trust a person and they say something which is negative – or give you some really direct feedback, you will take it from that person because you trust them. And you know that they're not out to get you. So I think if trust is there, then second, of course, communication is absolutely key. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, before we get too far into this, I do want to talk about your background. I want to talk about gender bias. I want to talk about this idea of wearing masks. I want to talk about political correctness, diversity, inclusion. There's a lot I want to cover, and we don't have that much time. Yeah. So let's get the intro out of the way. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> Welcome to Real News Talk. I'm Zach Lewis with Matt Stoker. Hello. Oh, there he is. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> today, I should know this by now. No, no worries. Uh, today, I'd like to have a, or we'd like to have, I should say, a, a thoughtful, nuanced discussion on all of those things, gender diversity, inclusion, a little bit of political correctness, but that's maybe just to appease myself. Um, not necessarily exclusive to the workplace, but we are working currently, so it just seems kind of fitting uh, mm-hmm. to talk about kind of workplace culture and that. And I think to talk about that, we're sitting down with somebody we're incredibly fortunate to have in studio, Deb Johnny, 
Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Nick. I was going to ask you before we got started, and I didn't. How do you say your last name? Biswas? Biswas, you got it. Biswas, yes. Oh, <laughs> <Home> run. <laughs> All right. There yeah, now we've got a show. All right, so first things first, you've mentioned your background. Let's talk a little bit more about that. As far as I know, um, because we do a little bit of research before the show, not too much, though. I don't want, uh-huh. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, let's start with who you are. Who, who are you? Introduce yourself, please. So, you know, my name is Debchani Biswas. Um, I have a, a sort of very mixed background. So I started out in the world of chemical engineering, and then I went into marketing and strategy. And then um, a few years ago, I did about 20 years in corporate. And then a few years ago, I went independent. And right now, I'm the president of a company called Coachieve LLC. And what we do is diversity and inclusion. Uh, originally, I'm from India and been in the U.S. for decades now. And uh, what I really am passionate about, uh, my mission is learning, helping, and teaching. That's the mission of the organization. And we have a sub-logo, if you will, which is Together We Can. So inclusion is very, very important to me. And that inclusion, you know, a lot of times people think of diversity and inclusion as being the color of your skin or your religion or where you come from. I actually would want to go into generational gender style. Am I an introvert or an extrovert? So that's my passion is to talk about what are the things that make us different when does bias or stereotyping happen? And how much more productive can we be in the workplace if we include diversity of style, diversity of gender, diversity of generation, and just appreciate all that? I, I was having this discussion with someone the other day when you, when you mentioned um, it goes beyond simply uh, different races or different genders, but also different personalities. And I am mostly uh, an introverted personality, which means, mm-hmm. I, I, well, to me, it means I, this may not be the clinical definition, but I, I generally keep to myself. I'm not, I don't hate people, but I, I generally just, I, I keep to myself. I, I'm rather quiet most of the time. Um, and I've seen that manifest in others in, in that I'll find out later once people get to know me, They'll say, gosh, I thought you were a, a jerk for the first six <laughs> months I knew you because you didn't say anything to me and you didn't. And I, I, I struggle with that a lot to say, no, that's not the truth. I, I, I didn't. I probably, you know, uh, was quite fond of you. I just didn't talk to you because I don't know how to do that very well. <laughs> um, this this excluded sitting behind a microphone excluded. But um, is, is that a do you run into that a lot where there are there are people where it's someone could just be shy or someone could just be overly effusive and that is a clash and there's it's hard for people to come together when that's been their personality for their entire lives yep so I think I'll link what you asked is a great question Matt to what Zach just said about being authentic and so if one you know self-awareness so one of the things I did I went along the way is got certified in emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence sort of is the underpinning of a lot of people may be technically smart and bright, but if they don't understand themselves and others, it's difficult. And so one of the first things in emotional intelligence is self-awareness. So about 20 years ago, I got certified in Myers-Briggs, which is, you know, talks about personality and style. And one of the things they say about the difference between introverts and extroverts is whether you get energy from being around other people or get energy from being around yourself. So I have chosen this uh, career path, which is half completely extrovert, speaking in keynotes in front of hundreds and sometimes thousand people, 
And then the other half is completely introvert, sitting in my cave and writing a book for six months at a time without any stimulus. I'm actually a paid extrovert. I am by nature an introvert. I totally get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So once again, it comes to that if people understand, you know, we fill in the lines, we fill in some blanks in our own minds based on our experiences. And so if people experience your silence and they are reflective themselves, they're, oh, Matt is thinking this through. But if someone is a flaming extrovert and they're like, oh, Matt hates me, he's a jerk, he doesn't like me, right. we're filling in those lines, right? So I think part of it is what I used to do if people didn't quite understand, you know, that I was both, you know, very comfortable with the crowd and had to go close the door and reflect for a while. I'd say, look, this is who I am. I'm not being rude. If I'm frowning, it just means I'm processing what you said. Right. I, I've, I mean, speaking of the emotional intelligence, I've had to deal with that myself because honestly, for a lot of my life, and this usually goes to personal things, but if I'm at a party, I'm, I, I am the wallflower. Like I'm, uh -huh. I'm the one that's on the edges and I'm not necessarily mingling. And that's where a lot of this comes from is people say, oh, yeah, he was at a party the other day and he didn't say anything to anybody. <laughs> and he was, um, and, and, and most of my life I've thought, well, they know me. They should know that I'm not yeah. actually. So I've put that on other people. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I've I've said, well, yeah, you guys ought to know that I'm not actually mad at you when they they really shouldn't have to know that. Um, so that's been a big struggle uh, for me growing personally is, is being able to say, I understand how the way I act could probably come across as negative to certain mm -hmm. people. And I, I either have to accept those consequences or I have to do something to try to change it. Usually I just accept the fact that they'll, <laughs> they'll think I'm a jerk and go because I don't want to change what I'm doing. But um, that's, I, I think, yeah, too few people actually step back and look at, at look at their own behaviors in that yeah. way. And you use the word should. And one of my friends says, don't should on yourself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, or on others, you know. So uh, I think that's one of the things. See, we are who we are, you right. know. There's very little of this, sh I should, I should not. Who are you really? If this is who Matt is, this is who Matt is. And right. if someone cares about you to, to know that, to understand you, you know, it is what it is. And it's such a great question. Who are you really? I was watching a, a documentary the other day and, and uh, there's this great line in it. It was about um, the documentary. I, I don't know if I should give it a shameless plug or not, but it's Jim and Andy. It's on, they just mm. added it to Netflix. It's about Jim Carrey's experience filming Man on the Moon in 1997, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, he's got this, because Jim Carrey is kind of a, an eccentric guy now mm -hmm. and, and he's got this line at the end and he, he says look people were born right and and we come into the world and we're immediately given labels you're mm -hmm. given a name you're mm -hmm. given a country you're in you're mm -hmm. given an age you're given a gender mm -hmm. and you have to figure it out and it's somewhere along the way there's a possibility maybe you start to lose who you really were yes. and you become something you were never supposed to mm -hmm. be there's certainly a question of identity there, and mm -hmm. and it's something that seems to be plaguing, uh, at least in generational differences, the younger generation, millennials most often referred to, I think. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about those labels? I think that labels are so powerful that they sometimes can define us even when they are inauthentic and they're inaccurate. And so, and, and sometimes that's a double-edged sword. So I, for example, have always enjoyed mathematics, have enjoyed numbers, have enjoyed equations, right? Yeah. And so when I worked for 17 years at Texas Instruments, um, I was very different from several of the females who were working there. And so every now and then people would make an assumption that because 
the background was different from what they had expected, I didn't fit into that box. So what happens when you start believing your own label? So if you look at the media, one of the things I'm doing which is fascinating is I'm looking at the unconscious effect of media on how we get biases. So when I'm doing a keynote, I've started playing, so I'll play a few, just a few lines from Girls Just Wanna Have Fun. Sure. One of my favorite songs, by one. the way. It's a great <laughs> song, Cindy yeah. Lauper, right? And that's from several years ago. And then I start asking, do girls really just want to have fun? And if you listen to the rest of the world's, uh, you know, a guy wants to take a beautiful girl, hide her from the rest of the world. So I just look at those, you know, the subtle effect of those words. And then I look at, say, Frozen, you know, Let It Go, Edina Menzel. And then I don't have to be the perfect girl anymore. The cold doesn't bother me. There are subtle messages about gender bias in media. If you look at the Jeffersons, right? What was the difference between the Jeffersons and any other TV show of its kind? It was one of the first times that an African-American family was shown as being affluent and in power. So that was groundbreaking. And so if we look at the impact of these labels, we don't even understand unconsciously the assault that we're getting of this is how men should behave. This is how females should behave. This is how if your skin is a certain color, this is where your profession is going to be. You know, there's just all this. So, so that's one of the first things that I do is when I hear something, I read something, I start thinking, okay, this is a show, this is entertainment, and what else is it trying to tell me about what that label is? Right, subliminal messaging can be a, an effective thing. Not I was gonna say frightening, but it, that's not necessarily what it has to be. It can, yeah. it can be powerful. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about this this kind of generational trend why why do you feel like millennials or, or younger folks seem to be struggling with that sense of identity is it because of these labels is it because of participation trophies is it because we watched children's shows that told us you can be whatever you want to be what, what do you think that is I don't know if I even agree with the comment that millennials are struggling with their identities I think that's a label that old fogies like me, baby boomers, have chosen to put on millennials. I was in New York last month and I heard this amazing presentation from this Gen Z woman uh, who had come down from Amsterdam. And what she said was, uh, millennials move over because Gen Z is here now. And she's 19 years old and she had this mind-blowing presentation with amazing technology. And I could actually see some of the millennials in the audience sort of bristling a little bit and getting a little, who, is, who does she think she is? And yeah. I just had to laugh because that's what the Gen Y people felt when you know millennials came and baby boomers fe felt. So it is just the passage of time, right? Right, it's, there's always this generational <laughs> conflict and yes. it's, there's nothing new with what's going on between with the, the two sides that seem to be cast, which is the baby boomers and the and the millennials. Yes. That seems to be the two sides of this yes. war. But yes. that has happened throughout the history of time, it yes. seems like. Yes, and right now, there is a silver tsunami. That's the term that we're using in the industry. Uh, it's a silver tsunami because hundreds and thousands of baby boomers are retiring. And so now millennials, you know, if you look at the percentages, millennials are taking over in terms of a lot of positions in power. And Gen Z is right behind them coming very shortly. And so really it's not a question of uh, millennials are worse or baby boomers are better. It's a question of there's this whole 
tsunami of people retiring. And if we don't adjust to the fact, so for example, I was uh, hearing um, in Harvard at one of the commencements, one of the speakers was talking about what's the difference in values between millennial values and baby boomers. To Matt's point, that is classically those are the two groups that are compared. And one of the things that he said is that millennials are much more global citizens than baby boomers ever were and are driven by social responsibility much more than baby boomers were. And as the proud mother of a millennial myself, you know, all this stereotyping that millennials don't have work ethic, they don't care about family, I strongly disagree with all of that. You know, I've seen personally when things were rough or times were difficult, I have found millennials coming forward to help me. So I think it's just a question of um, norms and values are different for millennials. We had very strong messaging when we were growing up as baby boomers. If you get a job, you'd be lucky if you get to that job, stick to that job, be loyal and just stay there for 20 plus years and pick up your watch and you know that's your expectation. The world has changed. There's internet, there's people are more savvy, it's just, very different. So I think it's different versus being better or worse. That's kind of what I've experienced. I like that you touched on stereotypes because that is something I wanted to cover. I think stereotypes can be a very real thing. And and I think the reason, part of the reason stereotypes exist is because of bias. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this idea? Nobody, Nobody's perfect. That's what they say anyway, <laughs> that nobody's perfect. So when it comes to bias, is anybody innocent or does everybody have them? So it's really interesting that you asked that. I was doing a session at a university campus and then we had a lunch break and uh, it was a very mixed group, men, women, different ethnicities. And in the lunch break, a woman of color like myself came to me and said, I am so glad you're doing this cultural sensitivity and all this training. It is so good for them. (laughs) And I just (laughs) had to laugh. And I said to myself, shall I just, you know, shut up and have a good lunch or shall I actually address this? So I think you know me by now. So, of course, I addressed it and I said, so and so, can we unpack the assumptions from which you made that comment? Because there is no single group that is free of bias, Right. right? They're just different. So I think that's one of the things that, you know, right now... If you're in the mainstream, a lot of times it feels like there's a target on your back, that you must somehow be the culprit and the other people are sort of heroic. It's, it's really not everybody has bias. So there's a framework called The Five Judgments in Unleash the Power of Diversity, my first book, and that is a bias and stereotyping framework. And what I've tried to do is list five categories in which people make judgments about us even before we walk into a room. So it starts with reputational currency. What is your buzz? So in the context of culture, for example, if someone hears a name like Debjani, one of my professors told me when I was doing my master's program, I was looking for jobs. And as I was submitting resume applications, he said, if you submit a resume application with the word Debjani, people might assume you don't know English. So why don't you try and put Deb instead of Deb Jani on the bis, on the resume, put Deb Biswas, uh, so that people won't make the assumption. So that's how unconscious bias and stereotyping is. Mm. 
And so I think it's just really understanding. Um, so that's the first judgment. And it goes, you know, to the second judgment is how do you look? It's very superficial, but physical impact is very important. We're doing this podcast, auditory cues, how you sound is huge in terms of judgments people make about your power, about your abilities. Um, and then there's something called distinguishing markers. What do people, what stands out about you? You know, all three of us in this room, I will have a different impression of what's your distinguishing marker, Matt, and your distinguishing marker, Zach, and vice versa. And the final judgment people make is how good you are at your work, your work product. And so it's kind of sad that we make all these judgments before we get to how good is someone's work. And so that's my whole premise, my hope, is by uncovering those biases and judgments, people start thinking about, you know, it's like TV shows like The Voice. The reason you have a TV show like The Voice is to reduce bias around physical impact. So you turn your chair and you only hear that person singing and it takes out a whole bunch of bias. So I think that's kind of, um, it's a fascinating subject. You brought up um, uh, gender differences earlier and this feels like something that is, I mean, obviously it's in the news a lot these days about yeah. the relationship between men and women mm -hmm. in the workplace or, mm -hmm. or personally. Um, and it's one of these things that me speaking from the perspective of a dumb man, um, <laughs> for most of my life, I thought, yeah, things are fine. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a jerk and I, I don't, yeah. I don't treat women in a certain way. Uh, yeah. I know there are people who do. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, everything feels fine. And when you start to see the news that comes out every single day and there's some new person in the, yeah. in the media, but also in, in, in other forms of life uh, that have been doing things and hiding things for so long, I started to realize that there's this sort of undercurrent of things really aren't okay yeah. or things are not as good as I thought they were. Yeah. And I noticed this in my personal life, talking to my wife about it, and mm -hmm. it's, I realized, oh, you have a lot of stuff that you're feeling that I d was not aware of. Yes. Um, do you think that, uh, in, in a way, I'm sure this is part of the, I guess, the growing pains of trying to get past some of this yeah. stuff and form a better society, but do you think that relationships between men and women are better than they have been or is i mean where do you how do you feel that men and women are getting along these days it's a very good question so i'm in the data gathering phase of my next book which is on actually gender diversity and it's called a power paradox gender matters and the reason i call it a power paradox is because there is that paradox um so i when i look at certain specific interactions yes are getting better I think it also requires some transparency. So I was in London a few months ago, and as I was going through Heathrow Airport, I just happened to pick up a local magazine. And what they were talking about is this huge furore that's happening because a male newscaster decided that it was enough with the disparity in incomes, and he actually stated what his income is. And then uh, there was this, for a month, there was this clamor. Hundreds of people signed this petition, and they released in July of this year the salaries for top male and female newscasters. And the top male newscaster got, I think, I want to say, three or four million, 
and the top female newscaster i think got between 6 or 800000 there was oh, a wow. that yeah. kind of a disparity and so one of the things that's very interesting is that when we have transparency into whether there is equity or inequity it's much more likely the thing comes out whatever aspect that might be and that's one the other thing is think about from when we have kids if we have kids you know i've mentioned being a mother those of us that are parents we focus on how sweet and pretty and docile and nice and obedient our little girls are we focus on how macho and strong and tough our little boys are fast forward that 20 30 40 years when that sweet little girl is not perhaps pursuing always the career that she might have wanted and that tough macho little boy is now in a position of high power and the power perhaps is starting to get to his head that is a recipe for a power imbalance right. and we are seeing a lot of the fallout from that so i think part of it is also our messaging we want our boys and girls to be strong and empathetic so what do i as a a white male um I've heard this said before is if if I don't see the problem then I'm benefiting from the problem or something like that. You know, if yeah. I don't see the disparity then yeah. I'm I'm benefiting from it, right? Yeah. So what do I as someone who would doesn't want things to be that way, how do I as an individual make a difference in that? How do I push things forward if I am either through uh sheer luck or uh, you know just through accident am benefiting from the way that things are set up the way they are now that is a very thoughtful question i spent probably 2 months thinking about that particular question so when unleash the power of diversity it ends with what i call a global toolkit and that is called the diversity foray and while i called it a foray is because every one of the solutions started with the letter a so there were four a's and foray means like a journey an exploration it was ask accept adapt and appreciate. So those were the four things that you would do if you're feeling like you're uncomfortable, someone's different, you want to do something to improve. So the first thing is do what you've been doing the whole time, which is ask, what's going on? Why is it that some people have more than less? How can I find out what the disparity is? So ask. The second one is to accept that certain people are born into a certain whether it's a gender or generation you're born into a reality. We haven't talked about socioeconomic status. I am born into the privilege of money or not, right? And that's a huge differentiator right there. Mm-hmm. So accept that there are certain groups that have much more of a difficult time just in order to get baseline get through school and college, you know, that's so that's accept and then adapt. we often expect someone who's different to adapt to the mainstream what would happen if the mainstream starts to adapt and understand and as the fourth a appreciate that there are differences in style so when i'm talking about greatness for women i have this framework where i talk about empowerment and greatness comes from grit and gravitas and grace right grace is a feminine word and i intentionally have it there because i'm talking about grit gravitas and grace is the way i see it and so i'm not going to change the word grace i will explain that grace applies across gender do you understand what i'm saying and so that's that ask accept adapt and appreciate and then the don'ts are equally important uh i love acronyms so the don't is also an acronym it's called don't space out and s p a c e all of them have something don't shun people 
Don't patronize people. Don't assume that you know what someone else's reality is. Don't crumble because you think someone's using the race card. And do not escalate. The E is the most important of all. Don't escalate when things are different. There's an awful lot of rules in there. And we've only got a couple minutes left, or a few minutes left, I should say. So I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole here. But to address a bigger problem, um, currently we're in a place where statistically a little under half of our country doesn't seem to want change. They seem to want to return to a way things were before, um, to make America a way it was before. Um, what would you say to people like that who are afraid of, of, of trying something new, of trying something different, of, of saying, you know what, yeah, maybe the mainstream can shift. Maybe these ideologies can be a little tweaked to be more accepting of everybody. Why do people struggle with that? And what do you think we can do about it? So I think when we see groups of people as a group, it is very easy to dislike a group. It is very difficult to dislike an individual. So what I would say is if you're uncomfortable with a group of people, try and find one person from that group and try and get to know that person. That would be one thing. And then I would also say anyone who has been in the mainstream, no matter what gender, generation, anything else, Think about a time where someone said or did something that made you feel really small. Were you productive at that time? And think about how that made you f feel. And is that the legacy you want to leave to other people? Is making other groups feel small? Making people feel small? Is that how you want your children to remember you? As I was the person that made an, a whole group of people feel small, as parents, um, we often hold ourselves to higher standards than just as working people, etc. So that's kind of what I would end with. There's a, uh, I, I think, there's a prevailing attitude, especially among uh, people, say, of, of the majority. Again, I'll go back to myself. There's this, there's this attitude of, uh, at least in this country, that for one group uh, uh, to prosper, that means another group has yeah. to not prosper, yeah. basically. And I, I heard this a lot. I come from a background of talk radio, so I, I, yes. I heard from a lot of listeners who had this real fear of if we try to make things more equal, that means my life is going to be yeah. worse. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that, that, that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody can, everything can be better for everybody. Yeah. Um, but that's also been, that's also been preached a little bit on, on some of the other side. I've, I've heard that from the other side that, yeah. you know, it's uh, this one group who has been in power, they need to be gone. They need to be eradicated. And that's, that, I think that's where some of that fear yeah. comes from is that there's this prevailing attitude or yeah. at least a very strong attitude that for one person to succeed another person has to fail uh, do you think that uh do you think that there's a way to, to combat that and do yeah. you uh, i mean do you i guess do you disagree with that i do disagree with that because the assumption of win-lose if you look at it if you say that you know we're going to increase the percentages well that assumes that the hundred is fixed and uh, so if you have 20% more females doing something, then you'll have 20% fewer men. Well, in terms of percentages, that works if you assume that the pot doesn't change. The overall pool, the pie, the pizza doesn't change at all, then that's assumption. But what we found, I work with the National Alliance for Partnerships in Equity, and every time they use strategies which work with underrepresented groups and they go back, uh, the aim is to make it more comfortable, say, for females to do well in science, technology, engineering, and math. But what they found is 
both male and female scores go up every time they use that. And so I totally disagree with that. What we're just trying to do is make everyone succeed and authentically just do better at what they're doing because the pool, the pot, the pie just keeps increasing. So it's not a zero-sum game. It's not win-lose. It's just everybody being able to succeed. That's kind of my impression. Mm -hmm. Debjani, we do not have enough time with you. I wish we had more. Unfortunately, we're just about out. So before we let you go, let's talk about your work. Let's talk about your publications. You said you've got a new book on the way. Where can people find your other work? Tell us what you got going on in your life. What's coming up? Thank you so much. So in terms of the books, uh, the first one is Unleash the Power of Diversity. I was very fortunate that Barnes & Noble also picked it up. I've done book signings there. So oh, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. So any local Barnes & Noble and Amazon, uh, the new one, Miserably Successful No More, we were so excited. It hit number one in Amazon and its category became an international bestseller. I love the title. Ten countries downloaded it within 24 hours. So it was so exciting. That's on Amazon. And the third book that I'm working on now. Uh, I'm doing a series on different aspects of diversity and inclusion. So the first one, Unleash the Power of Diversity, was on culture. The second one, Miserably Successful No More, was on style, introvert, extrovert, stress reduction. And this one, uh, I'm hoping within the next year, I'm in data gathering phase, is a power paradox, gender matters. So that will, you know, come out in about a year. So that's it. And uh, my uh, business is called Co-Achieve. So you would find us at uh, coachieve.us. Perfect. Well, Deb Johnny Biswas, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Thank you very much, Zach and Matt. It was Thank a you. pleasure.